Hey, we're super, super excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, we're just going to hop right into some worship, and then, uh, yeah, we'll have a time of prayer, and it's going to be great. So you guys can stand or sit, but let's worship the King.
morning, everybody. So for those of you who don't know us, um, I'm Blake Rowland. Uh, Boomer is my dad. Um, but Zoe here singing, and then Claire on the keyboard and Trig on the piano are all guys from the uh, Campus Ventures uh, Bible study. It's a, it's a uh, college Bible study that Hannah Katz helps lead. And then um, Ella and Caitlin are part of the high school worship band, which is awesome. They've been killing it. And Dave is on the drums. He, yeah, used to be part of the worship band, too. And then this is Caleb. So anyway, we're excited to be with you guys this week.
Good morning. Can you see me now? Lights are kind of weird. Um, welcome. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, and the reason I'm so excited is because I've been up since 5 o'clock. I had a lot of coffee. Unlike some of you just rolled in. So that's why I'm excited. It's great to be with you. Uh, I want to welcome you and uh, thank you for being here. If you're visiting us, um, we have these information cards, uh, connection cards, we call them, in the seat in front of you in the pocket. If you're visiting us, please fill one of those out. Bring it to the information desk, and we have a little gift for you. We're glad you, could, you have chosen to be with us in, in uh, time of worship and praise. I have a couple of announcements. Um, first and foremost, I'm, I'm kind of excited about announcing this, and I asked him if I could do this. Blake and Zoe, could you guys come up here, please? Yeah, let's give them a hand. It's an exciting time in their lives. Blake and Zoe just got engaged. Uh, yes. And we are very excited for them. Uh, and we ask that if you would remember, pray for them. Exciting time. As you know, marriage is a lot of fun. There's always going up, no, no downs, no, it's always ups, this is great. So I want to tell them all the good things as far as we can. But they're, I'm really excited for both of them. They both love the Lord. They, their commitment puts me to shame, to be honest with you. And I've talked to Blake about this, but I'm excited to see what God's going to do in and through these two uh, godly, godly young people, which we need a lot of them. So uh, if uh, you happen to get a chance, encourage them, and pray with them, and congratulate them. Thank you, guys. We're excited for you. All right. We do have, on February 6th, our semi-annual membership meeting, and it's going to be right here, right after the second service. Please uh, make sure you could be here. We, want, we have some things to discuss, obviously. We would be uh, talking about the budget and some of the things that God's done through our church, kind of give you an update. Uh, make sure you're there for that. Uh, also, in your uh, bulletin today, when you came in, there was a sheet of paper, like so. And this is just to, uh, if those of you who have time and would like to serve, we have uh, some opportunities for you to serve on Sunday morning, and maybe even during a week, a um, couple of hours. What we're trying to do really just create a bigger pool of volunteers so uh, most of our volunteers don't have to be here weekend after weekend so that way they have time off and they're not constantly serving. And if you feel God's leading you, if not, pray about it. I know he will lead you to uh, help us out. And uh, what happens on Sunday, we could always use ushers, more ushers, more greeters. Uh, Wednesday night we have Bible study. We have a kitchen crew that comes and bless their heart. They cook every Wednesday. We want to kind of add... Uh, to that group, if you have a gift of cooking, if not, we'll teach you how to cook. And then so come on in and also um, we could be part of that. Obviously could use volunteers for our tech department. We'd help out with Levi. And so there's plenty of opportunity and most of us, at least according to the word of God, we all have been given one gift. So let's figure out what that is and use it for God's glory. Also, as you know, our youth, are in Laramie. I got a phone call this morning. They're doing really well. They have their skin, and they should be home sometime this afternoon. So if you remember, keep them in prayer. 
Well, with that, let us go to prayer, and then we'll have, continue our worship. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you uh, for this beautiful day. What a reprieve it is from the cold out here with our temperature in the 50s. And we're just grateful for you. Uh, we thank you because of who you are. Uh, you are an amazing God. And uh, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who made our relationship with you possible so we could get together and worship. Father, we pray for our kids. You be with them, protect them today as they're finishing up in Laramie. Thank you for affording them the opportunity to go. And I, my prayer is that you keep them safe and bring them home safely. Be with our worship team this morning. We will be with our time of worship this morning. Be with uh, Pastor Boomer, Lord, as he's preaching and teaching. And uh, pour into him your wisdom, Lord, as he speaks forth your truth. And prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us, Lord. That we will not fight against your uh, nudging at our hearts to make changes. That we be open to make those changes. That we may, live, we may live a life holy and acceptable to you. Father, we love you. We praise you. Uh, we lift it all up to you. We ask that you would be glorified. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.
Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, we are in a journey through the book of Judges, and so far, um, chapters 1 and 2 have been one long introduction um, to the rest of the book, with chapter 2 being kind of a summary, um, kind of a summary overview of this downward spiral, uh, the effects of unchecked sin. And so in chapter 2, the author kind of gives us this preview of coming destruction, right? And so, uh, and so now the, to this morning, uh, or what we're seeing in this cycle uh, is we're seeing repeated over and over and over uh, what begins with the people's sin uh, leading to the oppression by their pagan neighbors Eventual repentance, God's deliverance, followed by a season of peace. And what's interesting then, as we uh, begin into chapter 3, uh, we're going to be introduced to our first judge by name. So if you've got your Bibles, we open to Judges chapter 3, and we're going to pick up right where Nick left off last week, right there with verse 7. So would you, uh, would you follow along with me? I'm, I'm using the New International Version this morning. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othnel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. So today we're introduced to our very first judge, uh, and that's, uh, as um, Nick explained last week, when you think of a judge, I don't want you to picture Judy, right? We're talking about something different. Right, so don't think about uh, you know the robes and the the knitted collar. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, really, I, I want you to think more like a uh, a, a local kind of a, a leader of the tribe, um, someone who would have settled disputes, and if the need arose, would uh, gather a defense for the. Uh, for the tribe. So this was, uh, each one of the 12 tribes would have had a leader like this. It's just as we go through this book, we're going to see that God chooses um, some of those judges to raise up, to provide a defense, not just for that tribe in particular, but um, for a broader group, sometimes uh, fighting on behalf of the whole nation. And so, um, so that's really what I want you to have in mind as we're thinking about um, Othnel today and, and as we continue through the book and we're introduced to others. 
We're going to start with verse 7 um, this morning. So let me back up and let's, um, let's look at just how this begins. Verse 7, the first part of it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a phrase that you're going to say. Now again, we're talking about all through this book, there are cycles that happen. We see the same kinds of things repeated over and over. Six times in the book we're going to read this phrase. Well, the other five times it starts with, again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? And so we're seeing this cycle. It's a, it's a literary device that helps us to see that they have not really learned anything at all. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so this begins this cycle that eventually leads to God's redemption. So what evil did they do? Well, let's look at the rest of the verse because the author um, tells us um, that their evil was twofold. First, they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. We see this again uh, a little later in the book in chapter eight, verses thirty. In, in chapter eight, verse thirty-four, where it says the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They did not remember the Lord. Their God. Now, if you, um, I, I will say that uh, last week Nick gave an excellent sermon where he uh, he he really did a great job explaining these foreign gods, what they what they were, kind of what that worship entailed, and uh, and so if you don't remember um, that message or if you didn't get to hear that message, would you please? Make sure that you go to the church website, find that message from Nick um, last weekend, and make sure that you listen to it, because I'm not going to go back into detail about those things. He did a fabulous job, so listen to that, please. Uh, Timothy Keller, uh, a longtime preacher and a guy that handles the word well, um, he explained that in the Bible, to forget and to remember have spiritual significance. And so, for example, if you um, somehow put your finger in Judges, but you flip over to uh, Psalm 25, verse 6 and 7, it says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good." We see another example of this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 9, where Isaiah writes, Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. So when God's people are asking God to forget or to not remember or to remember, right? They're not, like, they don't literally are, are hoping that God would remember something or forget something. But what they're asking is that God not act on his promises or that he would engage his great mercy on behalf of them in light of their sin. And so when the text said uh, in verse uh, 7 in Judges, right, that the people forgot the Lord, it means that they didn't act on what they knew in their head to be true about God. They didn't, allow, they didn't allow their head knowledge 
to affect their heart and so affect their behavior. They forgot God. In fact, when we choose, when we choose to sin, there's an element of that. It's because we have failed to remember who God is and what God has done for us. I want you to think about that. When we choose to sin, it's because we fail to remember who God is and what God's done for us. It's been a practice that I've been working on over the last couple of weeks as I've been in the book of Judges broader, but more specifically in this text. A practice of trying to keep God and what God's done and who God is in the front of my memory. Because if I can keep that in mind, I keep sin in check. Uh, I don't like to fish. I mean, if we're gonna, I mean, if we're starting confession time, um, I don't like to fish. Uh, I know some of you are like, "Who is this guy?" And well, get out of here. I don't like to fish. I like to catch. Let's be really clear. I, I like to catch, but I don't like the process of fishing. S- some people enjoy the process of trying to think like a fish. Personally. That doesn't do it for me. I don't really care how they think. I don't, whatever. I do care that they would bite on whatever I throw in there so that I can eat them later. I like to eat fish. And I like to catch fish, but I don't like the process of fishing. When we lived in Omaha, a friend of mine who knew that I didn't like to fish invited me to go ice fishing. Here's putting together two awesome things, fishing and freezing at the same time, and it did not improve the experience for me at all. And we caught trout, which I found out I didn't really even enjoy eating. So all around, a horrible experience for me. Seared into my memory, though, and so I I do remember quite a bit of that. Um, One of the interesting aspects, uh, one of the things that I learned that day when I was ice fishing, and I I never even considered this, is that uh, through the course of the bazillion hours that we were out there, we had to occasionally uh, scoop ice out of the hole that we had made so that it wouldn't refreeze. It didn't even occur to me. So we drilled the hole, and then I'm like, okay, let's get on with the fishing. And then every once in a while, we had to use this strainer-looking thingy, which I'm like, I like to cook, so that's good. And I'd scoop out this, you know, the ice. You know what I'm saying? But it occurred to me, and, I, and Timothy Keller mentioned this kind of uh, illustration, and, and then I remembered my fabulous experience ice fishing, but, but this idea that um, I, I think there's a, there's a parallel between um, our, uh, our, our forgetting God and this uh, refreezing hole. I think there's, there, we have to periodically remember. Like, I think we have to be intentional to remember who God is and what God's done for us, like breaking through that ice again, scooping out and, and opening up that memory for us 
I've preached before about um, Joshua chapter 4, and you can read Joshua chapter 4, and God, as they cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, and it's a big moment, and God says, set up a memorial to remember, um, to remember what I've done here, right? God gives, gives us memory points all through history to say, don't forget this, I showed up here. But when we remember, we're kind of breaking through that crusty, the icy crust of our hearts. And it opens us again to loving the Lord and to trusting Him in obedience. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that He sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishatham, Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. One of the things Nick encouraged us last, last week is when we read about God's anger, to look for the love that's behind the anger. Right? And he talked about that God is so fiercely jealous and he's incredibly in love with us, with his people, that it leads him to great lengths to protect them, even from themselves. So as we begin to read here, we're seeing that God's people forgot him, and they gave their hearts over to false gods, and God knew that that was going to only lead to, ultimately to their destruction, but to their um, to pain and to suffering and to isolation away from him. And so he goes to great lengths to wake his people up. And so God allows his people to be overwhelmed by hardship in order to bring them to a point of repentance. Israel's cry to God for rescue is the right response to suffering and difficulty. How many times in our life when we face hardship, when we face um, deep sadness when we face loss, how many times do we find ourselves turning away from God, looking for something else that will soothe the situation and what we're feeling? And God's deepest desire is that we would turn toward Him because He is the complete answer to what we need. There's a quote by Timothy Keller says, If God had not brought about suffering and difficulty, the people would not have seen their true position. They would not have seen how spiritually enslaved they were and what a judgment they were facing. If God had not let them taste that judgment by allowing them to be physically enslaved. God will go to great lengths to get our attention. Because he desperately wants a relationship with us. And he's fiercely protective of us. And so he'll allow the short-term pain in hopes that we'll turn to him and we'll find restoration, that we'll find comfort. In verse 9, it says, But when the people had cried out to the Lord, he raised them up. He raised up for them a deliverer 
Othnel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Notice that God didn't wait until his people had cleaned up their own mess to re-engage or to offer help. In fact, that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a popular thought about what repentance is in our culture today. That to repent means that I'm going to clean up my act, and then then I'll come to God. But repent, well, I mean, if we could do that, we wouldn't need Jesus. But repentance is turning our face toward God, and admitting our need for Him, and allowing Him to come and to do the work in us. And so here we see that the people finally, after eight years of enslavement, turn their face to God, and God responds. God acts on their behalf when they recognize their need for Him. He moved to do for them what they could not do for themselves. He provided a deliverer. And in this case, the man's name was Othnel. Now, it's interesting when we read verse 9, it could be a little confusing for you because it's a little confusing for several people, right? That Othnel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them, right? And so there's a, there's a little bit of a debate about what the relationship is between Othnel and Caleb, right? But we, we remember Caleb, like from way back, right, as the people were getting ready to come into the promised land the first time, and Moses was their leader, and they sent in the, you know, the 12 men went to spy on Canaan. You remember the song, right? I'm a children's pastor. I have to put this in at least once every sermon, right? But 10 were bad, and 2 were good. You remember the, the cute little song, right? Well, Joshua was one of the two good ones, and Caleb was the other. So here's this history of faithfulness, and not just faithfulness to God, but trusting and obedience. Like there's this long history. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two out of that generation of adults who got to go into the promised land. And so here's, here's family to Caleb. We're kind of introduced to them a little bit in, first in, the, in the chapter 1. But Othnel proves that he's... He also has a faith in God that moves him to radical trust and obedience. And so he, he finds victory in, in uh, chapter 1. And, uh, but we don't know exactly what that relationship is. Is it Caleb's nephew, nephew or is it Caleb's younger brother? We don't really know. I don't think it really matters. What really matters here, right, is that Othnel once again shows his, his obedience to God based on his trust in who God is. He believes God's promise. And so as God gives him instruction, then he carries out the instruction to bring about a deliverance for the nation of Israel. I think there's two takeaways for us today. Right out of this like short little section of scripture, but I think there's some things that I'd like for you to to carry with you, some things that I'd like you to kind of chew on and think about and say, okay, what God, what do you have for me? Like, it's great to hear a message, but but if it doesn't, if God's word doesn't change us, then it doesn't really matter. 
Here's the first takeaway for us. When we forget who God is and what God's done, we're more attracted to false gods around us who bring only brokenness and heartache and death. I want you to walk out of here this morning saying, how can I, how can I remember who God is and what God's done? So I want to make three suggestions to you this morning. First of all, when we take communion together, it's an object lesson. Jesus knows that our memories are faulty. He knows that we get distracted. And Jesus with his disciples says, every time that you do this, remember. Remember who I am. Remember what I did for you. Every time that we get an opportunity to take communion, it's our opportunity to to put right back in the middle, right back in focus, who God is and what God's done for us. We can also remember by both memorizing and meditating on Scripture. So some of you guys will just check out when I say memorizing Scripture. But the idea of meditating on Scripture is, and when we're reading Scripture, and, and God draws our attention to somehow put that scripture in the front of us, whether we're memorizing it so that it's in our minds and the Holy Spirit can bring that back to the front, or we're writing it down or we're saying it over, and, but we're putting it in front of us so that the truth of that scripture can settle and make a change in our lives. We're just saying, man, God, you are good. You are faithful, you are holy, you are just, you're on my side. God, you battle for me. God, you protect me. God, you are good. And we just continue to focus and think about and meditate on the truth of God's word and who God is and those things settle in our hearts. And I'll tell you that when we meditate on those things, it helps us to keep in mind what's the most important thing. When we have our eyes on the truth, it's much, much more difficult for our eyes to get, um, to get filled up with the moment. Whether that's something that we want or something that's um, battling against us or a hardship or a, a season that we're in. But when we have our eyes fixed on the truth, life is better. And the last thing is to be in community. I find um, when, when we sit with other people and when we hear other people's stories, what's God doing in somebody else's life? That it tends to bring us, to, it, for me, tends to bring me back to remember who God is and what God's done. When I get to hear what he's doing in the lives of brothers and sisters and sitting together, God didn't design us to do this whole journey and this relationship with him all by ourselves. He designed it to be done in community. So I want to encourage you as we're finding ways to remember who God is and what God's done, to spend some time um, uh, finding ways to remember him. So it could be that, it could be when we take communion here, that's a physical object lesson remembering. But every day, memorizing or meditating on Scripture and being in community will help us to remember. 
so that we don't forget, so that our eyes aren't distracted by other things in life. Here's the second takeaway for us today, and I'll close with this. When we face suffering and difficulty in our life, I want to encourage you to turn to God for help and for rescue. And I want to leave the impression that God causes those things in our life, but I do think that sometimes God uses and allows hardship in our life. And the appropriate response when we are going through something hard is to turn our eyes towards him. And so just three questions, three questions that you might consider in the midst of um, uh, something hard, something painful, something difficult. The first question to ask is, is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Again, I don't think God causes those hardship things. But I do think sometimes he allows those things to catch our attention. So we need to ask that question, is there a sin to confess? The second question that we can ask is, is there a pattern to change? Do I find myself stepping in the same pothole over and over and over again? So is there a pattern in my life that leads to this, and I need to change some patterns? As we begin to ask God for wisdom in those things, He'll begin to reveal those to us. And the third question is to ask, is there a higher priority than God in my life? Is there a higher priority than God in my life? But you notice that the answer to all three of those things is turn our face towards our Heavenly Father. Because God desperately wants to meet us right where we are and to bring us into a likeness of His Son. You know, uh, when God's people were in distress, they looked to God for hope. Now, it may have been in that culture that some people thought that their hope was in this guy named Othniel, but they were wrong if they thought that, because their hope was in God. God was active, He was involved, He was engaged. God is our hope. And for us, it's the same. Our hope has a name, and his name's Jesus. Oh, cry. 
Jesus be praised. I have victory. There is a light, salvation's flame. Christ undefeated, trampled the grave. See now the cross be lifted high. The light has come, the light of one behold. has a name his name is jesus oh christ be praised i have victory Fix my eyes on Christ my King. Hope has a life. I fix my eyes on Christ my King. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. My Savior's cross has saved sinner free hope has a name his name is Jesus oh Christ be praised I have victory Christ be praised I have victory